This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. When you're a jet, you're a jet All the way from your first cigarette Till your last dying day When you're a jet, if the speed hits the fan You got brothers around, you're a family man You're never alone, you're never disconnected You're home with your own, when company's expected You're well protected Then you are set with a capital J Which you'll never forget Till they caught you away When you're a jet I know Tony like I know me, and I guarantee you can count them in. In our let's get cracking. Where are you gonna find Bernardo? Yeah. At the dance tonight at the gym. Hey, but the gym is neutral territory. Oh, I'm gonna make nice there. I'm only gonna challenge him. Great, Daddy O. So everybody dress up sweet and sharp and meet Tony me at 10. All right. And walk tall. We always walk tall. Yeah. Rejects the greatest. When you're a jet, you're the top cat in town. You're the gold medal kid with a heavyweight crown. When you're a jet, you're the swingingest thing. Little boy, you're a man. Little man, you're a king. The jets are in gear. Our cylinders are clicking. The shots will stay clear. Cause every Puerto Rican a lousy chicken. Here come the jets like a bat out of hell. Someone gets in our way. Someone don't feel so well. Here come the Jets, little world's at my side Better go underground, better run, better hide We're drawing a line, so keep your nose hidden We're hanging a sign, says visitors forbidden And we ain't kidding Here come the Jets, yeah, and we're gonna beat Every last bugging gang on the whole bugging street On the whole Kia ora, Welcome once again backstage with me, Mike, and my good friend Mel. She's sitting right there. Me. If you're new here, you'll find that we are the ones who nerd out about theatre all the time, almost to the point of being boring. Mm. We bring you all of the local updates that we know of anyway, and just generally indulge in our favourite thing, which is yarning about theatre. It really is. Well, one of our favourite things, definitely, besides doing it. Oh, we could, of course, we're, we're fully rounded people. We have other things. Lots of other things. Sure. He- heaps <laughs> yeah. of things. Yeah. One day we'll talk about them. <laughs> if you're not new here, you know how much we would love you to like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram and share us with as many of your friends as possible. Please get the word around. We discovered the new Mel, what's well, not new, Mel Brooks masterpiece, Young Frankenstein, in Musical of the Week last week. And we talked about the use and importance of props on stage. And if that sounds like your cup of tea, you haven't had the chance to catch it yet, though, well, you can find last week's episode, along with the rest of our backlog, on any and all of your favourite podcasting streaming apps by typing in Backstage with Mel and Mike. 
us. Today, Mike is bringing us everything we need to know and want to know about the classic West Side Story. We opened with Jet Song in the lead up to the brand new motion picture adaptation. Yes, which is slated for the end of the year. I'll talk more about that later. Mm-hmm. We've got a new play of the day for you too. And if you want to know what that is, well, you just got to stay listening for a bit. <laughs> I like that. Uh, and we thought it also might be a good idea, oh, once again, to talk about COVID alert level settings in relation to doing things like going out to the theatre and supporting local productions. Because we'd love to see you do that Mm. and we're both involved in productions and projects where this has been discussed a lot Mm -hmm. and there has been also been a lot of questions uh, from the community about just how safe it's going to be for us to go ahead with our shows what the guidelines tell us about gathering indoors how it affects audiences how it affects cast blah 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 yeah there's a lot of talk so to answer a whole load of those questions and address some of that discussion we're just going to get stuck on in as you know mike and i are the vice president and president of hamilton musical theater which is open Mamma Mia in a couple of weeks and while we're still in alert level 2 we are preparing to perform the show in the level 2 environment For us it's a, it's a green light it's a bit of a hazy green light but it's one that allows the show to go ahead and we're, we're delighted with that I know that theatre administrators have been asked a lot about what the environment will be like if audiences come into the theatre and understandably you know, people are wondering if it's going to be safe to be mingling if it's safe to have audiences sitting there while cast is singing all over them. <laughs> um, what will be different about going to the theatre in Level 2? Yeah, so this is obviously irrelevant for the large-scale shows still because the gathering limit for an indoor venue is still 100 with one-metre distancing. Which counts out anything in large-scale venues. Clarence Street Theatre, for example, here in Hamilton, is still closed for business, as is Baycourt Theatre in Tauranga, as is the Sir Howard Morrison Performing Arts Centre in Rotorua. All of the theatres in Auckland are still closed because they're in level three and so that's what we know about those big venues with big audience capacities It's for the smaller venues that the real considerations are obviously being made a week ago before the government announcement the indoor limit was 50 which put quite a few shows into the postponement zone so now that the limit has been increased to 100 lots of shows are able to go on again Most musical theatre societies are taking their guidance from Musical Theatre New Zealand as the guiding body. They've done excellent work in this area. Mm. And repertory societies are advised by Theatre New Zealand, who are the equivalent body for societies producing plays in the main. Their guidance so far has been, quote, act with an abundance of caution. Yeah, that's what a lot of theatre collectors, and that's what they're doing. Shows have been allowed to continue rehearsing as long as the number of rehearsal attendees is less than 50, and we aren't mixing with any other, quote, rehearsal bubbles. Yeah, essentially we're talking about bubbles here. A bubble is a group of people who regularly get together and they're in a a fairly secure environment. Venues like Rivoli Theatre or The Meteor that are home to multiple groups has meant that mask usage in any shared spaces like green rooms, kitchens, bars, bathrooms, admin areas and so on are mandatory, they have to be there. Mm -hmm. So groups are doing everything they can to keep safe and keep their audiences safe in the lead up to the opening of shows. Yeah, and once the show opens is where the hardcore cautions sort of starts to come in. At level two, anyone working in your theatre that will interact with the public or in a public access area, volunteer or paid, must wear a mask. And audience members also have to be masked unless they are exempt for whatever reason. And whatever reason really 
does almost mean just that. As volunteer societies, it's not really our place to ask audience members to prove their exemption, mm. and it's not up to anyone to judge, decide, or question whether a person's reason for being exempt is legitimate or not. You just don't do it. Yeah, that's a big one, eh? and that's a big. I know it's a big controversial conversation at the moment. If I'm being honest, I really hate wearing masks. They're super triggering for my anxiety. I don't really like hot air on my face, and I could probably be exempt if I wanted to go down the route of getting official clearance. But even if I was exempt, there's still such a stigma around people not wearing masks that I wouldn't feel comfortable turning up without one anyway. Yeah, kindness and trust go a long way in these times, don't they? And you've got to be kind to people. The Prime Minister says this a lot, but it actually is a guiding light. Yeah. And I mean, you know, if it doesn't affect you and you don't know the person not wearing the mask, you don't know what their circumstances are or yeah. what they're, why they're not wearing a mask. So make sure you're wearing yours and just stay away from them. This <laughs> isn't theatre-specific, basically, actually. This is about, you know, life, mind your own business, keep your distance, (laughs) and be kind. Yeah, I really enjoy the bluntness of that. Just mind your own business. If it's not yours to worry about, don't worry about it. Exactly. Now that we've got that off our chest, (laughs) what else is going to be different about going to the theatre in Level 2? You know, I'm still crossing my fingers for a speedy return to Level 1, maybe next week, crossing Mm. my fingers. Uh, But casts, if we are still on Level 2, won't be able to mingle with audience members slash friends and family after the show in the venue. That's true. And because of the rehearsal bubble and the distanced audience bubbles, uh, cross-contamination is just not allowed. And this goes to things like having cast members come through an audience onto a stage. That's right. I was involved in a production last year when we were allowed to perform our first few opening performances at Level 2. We had a thing where we were going to mix with the audience. That just didn't happen. We rejected it while the Level 2 was in place. And it's to avoid that possibility of cross-contamination. And that's the government guidelines, really. Yep. Um, and it is a bit of part of it, the experience of seeing a loved one on stage. I totally get is, that. Yeah. And it, but there's nothing stopping you from heading to a bar after the show for a drink or, you know, to a bar in town or catching up in the car park or, you know, bringing everyone back to your place. Yeah, in your trusted bubble. Yeah. It has that impact, and it is kind of sad to see everybody just vacate the premises afterwards. Um, another thing I was watching earlier this week was a, a funeral that I wasn't able to attend because of numbers. Sure. Um, and the celebrant who was doing the uh, service said, look, I really appreciate that people want to talk and, and share memories and things like that after the for those that were attending. Um, he said, but please just, you know, when the casket's taken out, please just go home. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what we have to do. It's hard, but that's just where we are. The government's guidance on theatres specifically has been pretty lacklustre up to this point, though I must say they haven't specifically spelled out what theatres have got to do, which is why Musical Theatre New Zealand and Theatre NZ have done so much work in the area. Exactly. There's a lot of information about hospitality venues and venues like cinemas, sports grounds, and so on, but very, very little on live performance, and it's been frustrating for those who especially are earning their living in that area. Oh, so frustrating, and like you said, it's that's where NTNZ has been instrumental. They've taken all of the guidance from the government about hospitality and um, venues and cinemas and sports grounds and, and compiled it and collated it into a list that's relevant to live performance venues. What I really like about it is they've put it into language that we can understand yep. and we can implement and you know they put it in frames of reference that we identify with, which is really cool. That's it. And they're really the voice of our people, I guess, MTNZ, in terms of whether or not the shows should go on. If MTNZ had said, guys... We've heard all the evidence and government guidance and we still don't reckon it's really a good idea for your shows to be going ahead. Probably 
how much a musical theatre at least would have pulled our shows, and I know that others take heed of that sort of advice as well. I think so too. I think most of the voluntary musical theatre societies, at the very least, would have taken yeah heed of that advice. Social responsibility, isn't it? Oh, you can't just be going and putting your shows on, can you? Mm-hmm. Because you listen to the people who know more than you about stuff that's their stuff. Right. Well, well, I do, and I'm sure you do at any rate. Absolutely. If, if there's an expert telling me to do something for the benefit of lots of people, I am going to probably do that thing. As is any rational person, to be fair. So where do we get to here? Um, no mingling after the show, mask mm-hmm. wearing, audience limits? Um. Oh, uh, it's probably a good time to mention that the limit of 100 only applies to the patrons. Ah, yes. Uh, and not the people working on the show or Yeah, because that, that was something that wasn't all that clear to start with, wasn't it? No, Before, right back in the beginning. 100 eh? in the whole building? No. You've, you've we got, can't do it. You've got about 50 people backstage. Yeah, that's right. With. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So 100 people in the audience. Yep. And uh, also the tech operators also have to be masked if they're in part of the theatre that interacts with the audience in a, like an open operational space, yeah. which we have at Riverley. Yep. And I know that venues like Gaslight and Cambridge could probably get away with having the techs unmasked because their box is uh, right up at ceiling height, well away from the audience area at the back of the auditorium. Similarly with the little theatre in Morrinsville, they're well removed from the auditorium. Mm. Or the Meteor for that, if you put the desk well away from the corner maybe. Uh, Meteor is good like that. You can position it where you want. Yeah, I think you could probably if you wanted to get away with it. I know that the techs at the media are wearing masks anyway, I think. But like you mentioned, the techs at Riverley or in venues like Clarence Street where the tech box is right there sort of hovering over the back row, those people, those operators absolutely will be wearing masks. So have we made it clear? At the risk of sounding like the mask police, <laughs> yeah. we want to say do what you can in level two to keep yourself and those around you safe and feeling secure. And it's worth a little bit of discomfort to do that. While we're on the note of discomfort, I've heard of, and this is not theatre related, but I've heard recently of a hairdresser friend, every second client that comes in asks them if they're getting vaccinated. Really? Are you you vaccinated? Won't come in if they're not vaccinated. Or won't come in if they are vaccinated. I think, yeah, well, that's pretty cool that people are aware of the importance of vaccination. That's not polite to ask, is no, it? No, it's, it's pushing <laughs> the boundaries a little bit, isn't it? <laughs> Anywho, don't ask your theatre peeps if they're getting vaccinated. No, that's not a good look. Flowers and full moon. 
the Buicks or San Juan. If there's a road you can rhyme on, I'll give my cousin the free ride. How you get all of them inside? He may bring gold to America, then he hello in America. Nobody knows in America. Puerto Rico's in America. iconic songs from our musical of the week West Side Story, that is America we're listening today to the 2009 Broadway cast recording so Mel, what are your thoughts on this classic piece of musical theatre I mean everybody knows it right Mm. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I know about as much as you should know well you know it's there yeah, well, I don't and know. And you know some of the songs, right? I know, like, three songs from the show, and I know it's vaguely based on Romeo and Juliet and set in South America. <laughs> yeah, that's what I know about it. So you've never seen it? Uh, never seen no, a production? No, never seen it live. I haven't even seen a movie. I've just never been particularly interested. Well, it's it's had a bit of resurgence lately for lots of reasons, because it's had revivals on Broadway, plus there's a new movie coming out, as uh, we alluded to before. Mm-hmm. It's going to be launched at the end of this year. It was It's about 12 months behind schedule. Sure. I think I probably am imbued with uh, West Side Story as one of my life soundtracks, because as I've told you several times as a little boy, that was my entertainment, listening to my mum and dad's collection of soundtracks from And musicals. West Side Story was one and of And West Side those. Story was right in there, but it was the movie soundtrack, 
so I used to know all the songs um, and I never understood what they were all about but I just loved the music and I loved the sure. idea of the dancing and everything and I think I saw the movie probably before I'd even reached puberty Yeah. so there was a lot I didn't understand about it um, <laughs> but it is a show that just keeps coming back and keeps giving and because of the social commentary that it would have had at the time and many of the things that are still relevant in terms of race yeah. um, misogyny and things like that it's still a very very powerful show mm. so I'm, I'm really pleased we got to it after all this time to be honest yeah it's another one of those ones that I can't believe we hadn't got to before now there's much to say I'm very I'll warn you now there is much to say <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, we'll get on to all of that very shortly, but first I want to tell you about one of my favourite plays for Play of the Day, uh, because it's been a few episodes since we bought you the Mother Beeper with the hat. Yeah, it is too. I was just going to say that, swear. <laughs> I'll save you the bleeping it out. Okay, thanks very much. It's August Osage County by American playwright Tracy Letts. It's a tragic comedy, which is defined in Wikipedia, so it must be true, <laughs> as a term that describes either a tragic play which contains enough comic elements to lighten the overall mood, usually dark comedy, or a serious play with a happy or lighter ending. Yeah, so a black comedy, like you say. Uh, August Osage County premiered at the Steppenwolf Theatre in Chicago in June of 2007 and closed in August of 2007. It then moved to Broadway, where it debuted in December of 2007. Then it transferred from where it opened to the Music Box Theatre in April of 2008. And that Broadway run closed in 2009, or June of 2009, after 648 performances and 18 previews. It won five Tony Awards. Awards in 2008, three Drama Desk Awards, a Drama League Award, four Outer Critic Circle Awards, the New York Drama Circle Award for Best Play, and it was the recipient of the 2008 Pulitzer Prize for Drama. Yeah, so without even knowing anything about this three-act play, it is performed in three acts, uh, we know it does phenomenally well wherever it's staged. This is where I would normally give you a plot summary, but I feel like you just need to read it or watch the movie because anything I tell you kind of spoils something. Oh, Okay. But it's enough to say it's a family-driven drama? Yes, I, I think that says it all, really. But in place of what the show is about, I thought we could do a quick breakdown of the play's 13 characters and family members. Yeah, that should be enough to whet people's appetite for reading it. Or it was for me. It out. Yep. Yeah. Great idea. So we'll start with Beverly Weston, who is the father to three daughters and patriarch of the Weston family. He's 69, an alcoholic, and a washed-up poet. His mysterious disappearance one evening and eventually discovered death are the reasons for the family's reunion and the device driving the story forward. The reasons for his implied suicide are a major plot point that brings some of the family's dark past painfully back into the light. Ooh. And then there's his wife, Violet Weston. She's 65 and undergoing treatment for oral cancer. She's also addicted to several prescription drugs and after an ugly rant at Beverly's funeral dinner, the family's focus shifts to keeping her clean. Despite her drug-induced episodes, she is sharp-tongued and cunning. She is well aware of the family's many secrets and not hesitant to reveal them for her own benefit. Nice. Barbara Fordham is the eldest child of Beverly and Violet. She's 46, the mother of Jean and the wife of Bill, though they are currently separated. She's a college professor in Colorado and she wants to save her marriage but is weighed down by an intense need to control everything around her as it falls apart. Mm. Ivy Weston is the middle daughter. She's aged 44. Her calm and patient exterior hides a fiery woman who slowly becomes more and more cynical. She's secretly having an affair with her cousin, little Charles, and plans to move <laughs> to New York with him. 
Now, Karen is the third child and youngest daughter of the Western family. She's 40, newly engaged to Steve, whom she considers, quote, the perfect man, and lives with him in Florida, planning to marry him soon. She talks about very little aside from her own happiness, even at her father's funeral, and she clearly chooses to lie to herself about her sleazy fiancé rather than face the reality of not getting the happy ending that she's chasing. Yep, and Bill Fordham, who we've mentioned, is Barbara's sort of husband and Jean's father. He's 49, he's a college professor. He's left his wife for a younger woman named Cindy, who's one of his students, and he struggles with wanting to be there for his family, but wanting to be with Cindy as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, As we know already, his marriage is disintegrating and his patience is very slowly running thin. Then there is Jean, the 14-year-old daughter of Bill and Barbara. She smokes pot and cigarettes. She's a vegetarian, loves old movies, and is bitter about her parents' split. She has a sexual encounter with her future uncle Steve and reacts violently to Jonna coming to her rescue. You'll find out about Jonna very shortly. And first we'll touch on Steve Heidebrecht, who is Karen's fiancé. He's a 50-year-old Florida businessman whose business, it is hinted, centres around the Middle East and may be less than legitimate. He is not the perfect man that Karen considers him. He is inappropriately sexual with Jean throughout the play and supplies her with marijuana. And now we get a little bit more convoluted with the family tree, if you thought it wasn't already. (laughs) Matty Faye Aiken is Violet's sister. So she's an aunt to Barbara, Ivy and Karen. Her husband is Charlie and their son is referred to as Little Charles. Now, just as jaded as her sister, Matty Faye constantly belittles her son and antagonises her husband. She's eventually key to another of the play's major plot points. We'd absolutely be spoiling it, like I said, if we told you, though, so please check it out or read the play if you're interested. Next is obviously Charlie Aiken. That's Matty Faye's husband and little Charles's dad. He's very much, I think he's probably one of the more likeable characters in the show. He's very much a genial man, lifelong friend of Beverly's. Little Charles is 37, unemployed and clumsy. His mother calls him a screw-up, which may be a self-fulfilling prophecy. He's secretly having an affair with Ivy, and again, they're part of one of the play's major plot points. Keyword cousin. <laughs> Jonna Monevata is a Cheyenne Indian woman. She's the second youngest in the cast at 26 and was hired by Beverly as a live-in housekeeper shortly before he disappeared. Jonna is the silent witness to much of the mayhem and the house. Now, of course, you can't round off a tragic comedy without the sheriff. We have Dion Gilbo as the high school classmate and former boyfriend of Barbara's who brings the news of Beverly's suicide to the family. And like I said, without even knowing more about the play than what we've just outlined, these are 13 people whose stories I want to know more of. <laughs> no, you know, just as you hear that, you just think, what? What is going how, on? How do they get together? Yeah, yeah. Why is Ivy having an affair with her cousin? Did Beverly really commit suicide or is there something more sinister afoot? Why is the sheriff relevant? Is Jonna everything she appears to be? So many unanswered questions. And the kind of questions that are answered simply by reading or watching the show. It's such a thrill. I've never seen it, so now you've got my interest peaked mm-hmm. to the max. I love characters that are so well-rounded as these are with such interesting convolutions and backstories and loyalties that are obviously going to be divided and and set against each other all the way through. Um, I can imagine what kind of story arc this has. This is the sort of play that I can imagine really excites you and like the likes of Hamilton actors who, you know, maybe don't want to be involved in some of these young poppy musicals, but get their teeth into like some real, Mm. some real gritty drama. So we should mount this.
We should do it. Ah, somewhere. It's a great play. The movie's got Meryl Streep in it, Julia Roberts, oh, lots of famous people. August Osage County by Tracy Letts. It's available in lots of good bookstores or from the Play Bureau online store. Read it, watch it, just please get your hands on it as soon as you can. Now we'll be right back with your list of what's on around the place soonish and our musical of the week. So stay right there, sit where you are. There's something due any day I will know right away Soon as it shows It may come cannonballing down to the sky Gleam in its eye Bright as a rose Who knows It's only just out of reach Down the block on a beach Under a tree I got a feeling there's a miracle due Gotta come true, coming to me Could it be? Yes it could Something's coming, something good If I can wait Something's coming I don't know what it is But it is gonna be great With a click, with a shock Phone will jingle, door will knock Open the latch Something's coming Don't know when But it's soon Catch the moon One-handed catch Around the corner Or whistling down the river Come on Deliver it will. Maybe just by holding still, it'll be there. Come on something, come on in. Don't be shy. Meet a guy. Pull up a chair. The air is humming and something great is coming. Who knows? It's only just out of reach Down the block on a beach Maybe tonight Maybe tonight Maybe tonight Maybe tonight You're backstage with Mel and Mike Thank you to our friends at Free FM and Creative Waikato For making backstage possible That was Something's Coming from our Musical of the Week West Side Story Now as promised it's time to get your calendars out To take note of everything we know About what's still coming up around the place soonish At the Meteor there is still quite a lot coming up soonish The rest of the Boil Up projects are on their way Elsie written and choreographed by Lily Empson That hits the stage 7th to the 9th of October Asameda written and performed by Henirangi Marie Berryman That's on the 20th to the 22nd of October And Wish I Was There written and performed by James Smith that's on from the 2nd to the 5th of November so that's the Boil Up Projects and you've also got Kashu which is rescheduled from earlier I think August by Linda Chanwai Earl that's on October 18 Drag Up Your Life is presented by Miss California October 23rd and Assassins has been rescheduled presented by Bold Theatre that's going to stage December 10th to the 18th Riverly Theatre has Mamma Mia, presented by Hamilton Musical Theatre, October 10th to the 31st, and Back to the 80s, directed by Glenn Matthews, opening in November. It's going to be a fun one. At Navarra Lounge, open mic night tonight and every Wednesday evening at 8pm. 
Your Asumaru and Ozi Oza with special guest Arua are on Saturday, October the 2nd, and Ben Gaze is supported by Betend Rocket on Thursday, October 7th. Byronsville Theatre are rehearsing their version of All Together Now, November 12th to the 15th. The Gaslight Theatre are in rehearsals for Aladdin, a pantomime, on stage in November. Matamata Dramatic Society are rehearsing at the sign of the Crippled Harlequin by Norman Robbins. That's uh, scheduled for November 27th to the 4th of December. And Matamata Musical Theatre have a funny thing happened on the way to the Forum from the 11th to the 20th of November. Down the road uh, in Tokoroa, the Little Theatre are in rehearsals for No Regrets, the musical written and directed by Sonia Winikiri on stage in November as well. Thames Music and Drama, they have their version of All Together Now also going on stage on November the 12th to the 15th. I have learned that Spamalot for Rotorua Musical Theatre has new dates. That's going on stage from October the 1st to the 16th. Good to see that hitting the stage. Tauranga Musical Theatre have their All Together Now, uh, like everybody else, November 12th to the 15th. 16th Avenue Theatre, The Revlon Girl, really good sounding play, directed by Geraldine Broderick. That's on the 15th of October through to the 30th. And April Phillips' play Swingers is directed by Merv Beats. That's on stage 26th of November to the 10th of December. At Detour Theatre in Tauranga, Sherlock Holmes, The Adventures of the Speckled Band, new dates, 18th of November to the 4th of December. New one to the list, because I thought we might as well get them in there, Theatre Fakatani. They are doing Mystery on the Orient Express from November the 17th to the 27th. Finally, Auckland Theatre Company still have Blythe Spirit by Noel Coward on the books. That's scheduled to open November the 9th to the 28th, if they get down that far in terms of levels. Fingers crossed for them. Should be. In the way of upcoming auditions and opportunities, Tauranga Musical Theatre have put a call out for people interested in taking on an HOD role in their upcoming season of Peter Pan Jr. You can jump on their Facebook page for more information and details on how to get in touch with them. There have been more casualties thanks to COVID, but there's also been a light at the end of the tunnel with some rescheduled dates now being confirmed and shows definitely going on. Great. If there is anything you want us to spread the word about, whether it's a, a cancellation, a postponement, or a new date for something, email us, backstagepodcastnz at gmail.com, or just let us know when you see us at the theatre next, because we're around, we go and see stuff. Now, the moment you've all been waiting for. It's musical of the week time. <laughs> it's West Side Story, and because I know very little about it, take it away, Mike. Okay, Romeo and Juliet by another name, really. That's West Side Story, of course. Everybody knows that. Star-crossed lovers from warring families in the tragic path they tread. What's not to like about that? Mm -hmm. It's got everything going for Mm -hmm. it. West Side Story is a musical with a book by Arthur Lawrence, music by Leonard Bernstein, and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim. It was, of course, inspired by William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. So that's official that that... It is, definitely. Okay. Yep. The story is set in the mid-1950s in Upper West Side of New York. Uh, New York City that is then a multiracial blue collar neighbourhood and the music explores the rivalry between the Jets and the Sharks two teenage street gangs of different ethnic backgrounds the members of the Sharks from Puerto Rico are taunted by the Jets a white gang the young protagonist Tony a former member of the Jets and best friend of the gang's leader Riff falls in love with Maria the sister of Bernardo the leader of the Sharks the dark theme, sophisticated music, extended dance scenes and focus on social problems marked a very big turning point in musical theatre, which is why West Side Story is so important. Uh, 
The original 1957 Broadway production, conceived and directed and choreographed by Jerome Robbins and produced by Robert E. Griffith and Howard Prince, marked Stephen Sondheim's Broadway debut. And in a world where theatre goers were being fed the likes of Oklahoma, South Pacific, Guys and Dolls and the like, Mm. the raw energy and in-your-face presentation of social issues like those in West Side Story made everybody sit up and take notice. Here was something nobody had done before, and the timing couldn't have been better. Uh, as far as the plot goes, on the west side of New York City, the Jets and the Sharks are Polish and Puerto Rico gangs, uh, respectively, who battle each other for territory in their neighbourhood. At a gymnasium dance, Tony, one of the founders of the Jets but no longer active with the gang, and Maria, the recently arrived sister of the Sharks leader Bernardo, spot each other across the crowded room. There are sparks and they fall in love at first sight. Fireworks. It's so lovely. For many of the male gang members, that connection is the last straw in their feud that leads to the decision to have one big rumble to determine territory once and for all. As Maria and Tony try to meet each other clandestinely at any opportunity, Maria makes a request of him to foster peace between the Jets and the Sharks. He's in a unique position. As a former member of the Jets, he could do that. Yeah, sure. Which inadvertently leads to a series of tragic events, not only for the collective, but personally for Maria and for Tony. If you've never seen it, if you've never seen it, like Mel, I'm not going to give you any spoilers. Someone's going to die. There is death. Oh, I'm invested. Okay, keep going. Yeah, but it's not like Romeo and Juliet. The deaths are not quite the way that Romeo and Juliet plays out. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah, it is. But the story of how it all came together is actually probably, to my mind, a bit more interesting anyway. Okay. Since a lot of people will know the story of West Side Story. I'm going to tell you the story of how the show came to be. Okay. It was 1947, so 10 years earlier, when Jerome Robbins approached Leonard Bernstein and uh, Arthur Lawrence about collaborating on a contemporary musical adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. He proposed that the plot focus on the conflict between an Irish Catholic family and a Jewish family living on the Lower East Side of Manhattan during the Easter Passover season. In this plot, the girl has survived the Holocaust and emigrated from Israel, and the conflict was to be centred around the anti-Semitism of the Catholic Jets towards the Jewish Emeralds, a name that made its way into the script later, actually as a bit of a reference anyway. Eager to write his first musical, Lawrence immediately agreed, and Bernstein wanted to present the material in operatic form, but Robbins and Lawrence resisted that wisely so. They described the project as lyric theatre and Lawrence wrote a first draft he called East Side Story. Mm. Only after he completed it did the group realise it was a little more than a musical treatment of of themes that had already been covered in plays like um, A.B.'s Irish Rose. When Robbins opted to drop out, the three men went their separate ways and the project was shelved for almost five years. So fast forward to 1955, theatrical producer Martin Gable was working on a stage adaptation of the James M. Kane novel Serenade about an opera singer who comes to the realisation that he's homosexual and he invited Lawrence to write the book for that. Lawrence accepted and suggested Bernstein and Robbins join the uh, creative team. Robbins felt that if the three were going to join forces they should return to East Side Story and Bernstein agreed with that in the end. Lawrence, however, was committed to Gable, who introduced him to the young composer lyricist Stephen Sondheim. Sondheim auditioned by playing the score for Saturday Night, which was his own musical that was scheduled to open later in the year. Lawrence liked the lyrics but was not impressed with the music, and Sondheim didn't care for that opinion, and so Serenade ultimately was shelved just as well as it turns out to. 
Lawrence was soon hired to write the screenplay for a remake of the 1934 Greta Garbo film The Painted Veil for Ava Gardner. All of this seems unrelated, but it comes together. While in Hollywood, he contacted Bernstein, who was in town conducting at the Hollywood Bowl, and the two met at the Beverly Hills Hotel, and the conversation eventually turned to juvenile delinquent gangs, a fairly recent social development and phenomenon that had received major coverage on the front pages of the papers due to a Chicano turf war. So Bernstein suggested they rework his side story and set it in Los Angeles. But Lawrence felt that he was more familiar with Puerto Ricans and the United States and Harlem than he was with Mexican-Americans and Olvera Street. The two contacted Robbins, who was enthusiastic about a musical with a Latin beat, and he and Lawrence began developing the musical while they were working on their respective projects, keeping in touch with Bernstein, who had in the meantime returned to New York. Mm-hmm. Bernstein and Lawrence, who had been blacklisted for alleged communist activities, worked <laughs> with Robbins, even though it was Robbins who had cooperated with the House Un-American Activities Committee. Okay. Yeah, weird, eh? In New York City, Lawrence went to the opening night of a new play where he met up with Sondheim again, who had heard that East Side Story, now retitled West Side Story, was back on track and was keen to be part of it. Bernstein had decided he needed to concentrate solely on the music, and Lawrence asked Sondheim if he would be interested in tackling the task of writing the lyrics. At first, Sondheim resisted because he was determined to write the full score for his next project, but Oscar Hammerstein stepped in and convinced him that he would be he would actually be benefit from the experience and get some good exposure so in the end Sondheim said yes okay just as well meanwhile Lawrence had written a new draft of the book changing the characters backgrounds again the male lead once an Irish American was now of Polish and Irish descent and the formerly Jewish female lead had become Puerto Rican so we're getting closer now right yeah the original book Lawrence wrote closely adhered to Romeo and Juliet but the characters based on Rosaline and the parents of the doomed lovers were eliminated early on Later, the scenes related to Juliet faking her death and committing suicide were also taken out. Sometimes converted long passages of dialogue, sometimes just a simple phrase like, a boy like that would kill your brother, into lyrics. Lawrence felt that the building tension needed to be alleviated in order to increase the impact of the play's tragic outcome, so comic relief in the form of Officer Krupke was added to the second act. He was outvoted on other issues because he felt, for example, the need for the lyrics of America and I Feel Pretty. Uh, He thought that they were too witty and too complex for the characters to sing them, Mm. but they stayed in the score and they proved to be audience favourites anyway. Mm. The show was nearly complete by late 1956, but almost everyone on the creative team needed to fulfil other commitments first. When a backers audition failed to raise any money for West Side Story late in the spring of 1957, only two months before the show was to start rehearsals, producer Cheryl Crawford pulled out of the project and every other producer had already turned down the show saying it was too dark and too depressing. Bernstein was despondent but sometime convinced his friend Hal Prince to read the script. He loved it, and he and his producing partner Robert Griffith flew to New York to hear the score. In his memoirs, Prince recalled... Sondheim and Bernstein sat at the piano playing through the music and soon I was singing along with them. Prince came on board, trimmed the budget, raised the money to get things going. Robbins then announced that he did not want to choreograph the show but changed his mind when Prince agreed to an eight-week dance rehearsal period instead of what was usual at that time, which was only four weeks, since it was to be much more dancing in West Side Story than any previous Broadway show. Originally, when considering the cast, Lawrence wanted James Dean for the lead role of Tony, but the actor died too soon. Sondheim found Larry Kurt and Cheetah Rivera, who created the roles of Tony and Anita, respectively. 
Getting the work on stage was still not easy. Bernstein said in one of his memoirs, everyone told us that West Side Story was an impossible project and we were told no one was going to be able to sing augmented fourths as appear in the song Maria. Also, they said the score was too rangy for pop music. Besides, who wanted to see a show in which the first act curtain comes down on two dead bodies lying on the stage? And then we had the really tough problem of casting it because the characters had to be able to not only sing, but dance and act and be taken for teenagers. Ultimately, some of the cast were teenagers. Some were 21, some were 30, but looked 16. Some were wonderful singers, but couldn't dance very well or vice versa. And if they could do both, they couldn't act. And now look, almost as a direct result of those demands for West Side Story, anyone looking to be a cast on a Broadway show these days has to be able to handle all three disciplines, right? You've heard of the the triple threat. That's pretty much where it stemmed from. I love that. Yeah. After tryouts in Washington, D.C. and Philadelphia starting in August of 1957, the original Broadway production opened at the Winter Garden Theatre on September 26th, 1957. Very positive reviews. The cast starred Larry Kurt as Tony, Carol Lawrence as Maria, Cheetah Rivera as Anita, and David Winters as Baby John. The production closed uh, June 27, 1959, after 732 performances. Robbins won the Tony Award for Best Choreographer, and Oliver Smith won the Tony for Best Scenic Designer. Also nominated were Carol Lawrence as Best Actress in a Supporting Role in a Musical, Max Goberman as Best Musical Director and Conductor, and Irene Sharif for Best Costume Design. Carol Lawrence received the 1958 Theatre World Award. A national tour followed in '59. The show returned to the Winter Garden Theatre in New York in April of 1960 for another 249 performances engagement, and that closed in December of that year. In the UK, a 1958 production at Manchester Opera House transferred to London, where it opened at Her Majesty's Theatre in December of 1958 and ran until June of 1961 with a total of 1,039 performances. That's a long time. Yeah. Robbins again directed and choreographed and featured performers were George Chakaris as Riff, who won an Academy Award as Bernardo in the 1961 film, Marla's uh, Waters as Maria, Don Mackay as Tony and Cheetah Rivera coming back with her Broadway role as Anita. A UK national tour started in 1997 and the production transferred to London's West End opening at the Prince Edward Theatre in October of 98, transferring to the Prince of Wales Theatre where it closed in January of 2000 and the production subsequently toured the UK for a second time after that. A Broadway revival opened at the Minskoff Theatre in February of 1980, closed at the end of November after 333 performances. One of the key cast members there was Debbie Allen as Anita. She received a Tony Award nomination as Best Featured Actress in a Musical, and the musical was also nominated that year as Best Reproduction, Play or Musical. Allen won the Drama Desk Award as Outstanding Featured Actress for uh, that performance as well. Then in 2007, Arthur Lawrence stated, I've come up with a way of doing it that will make it absolutely contemporary without changing a word or a note. He directed a pre-Broadway production of West Side Story at the National Theatre in Washington, D.C. that ran for a month from December 08 to January 09. The Broadway revival began previews at the Palace Theatre that February and opened in March of 2009 production wove Spanish lyrics and dialogue into the English libretto and the translations are by Tony Award winner Lin-Manuel Miranda. Lawrence stated, the musical theatre and cultural conventions of 1957 made it next to impossible for the characters to have authenticity. Every member of both gangs was always a potential killer, even then. Now they actually will be. Only Tony and Maria try to live in a different world. The cast featured Matt Kavanagh as Tony, Josefina Scaglioni as Maria and Karen Olivo 
as Anita. Oliver won the Tony Award for Best Featured Actress, whilst Caglione was nominated for the award for Leading Actress, and that cast recording won the Grammy Award for Best Musical Show Album. Oh, did it. The production closed January the 2nd, 2011, after 748 performances and 27 previews. The revival sold 1,074,462 tickets on Broadway over the course of nearly two years and was a financial success. A further Broadway revival of West Side Story began previews in December of 2019, officially opening in February of 2020 at the Broadway Theatre. It was directed by Ivo Van Hove with choreography by Anna Teresa de Kiersmaker and was produced by Scott Rudden, Barry Diller and David Giffen. That production cut the song I Feel Pretty and trimmed the book back to one hour and 45 minutes with no intermission. The setting was loosely updated to the prison and direction was determined to snuff out any lightness that might temper the full-blown tragedy to come. The original balletic finger-snapping choreography was replaced by swaggering hip-hop and Latin-influenced dancing. The set consisted mostly of large screens featuring video. Several cast members carried iPhones and the jets were not all white. Some theatre-goers felt that the set turned the theatre into a cinema, but critic Charles McNulty argued that it wove technology into a multimedia performance work that defies our usual vocabulary. Alexandra Schwartz, writing in The New Yorker, felt that the use of the videos dwarfed the actors with their own gigantic images. The technique is banal. While the mixed casting of the jets creates a bitter, unintended irony in the context of African-American history... March the 11th, 2020, was the show's last performance before production was suspended due to the COVID-19 pandemic. But because of its opening date, it wasn't eligible for the 2020 Tony Awards considerations, and the producers have since announced that the show is not going to reopen. So that total run was 78 previews, 24 performances. Mm. It's a bit sad, really. Yeah. Now, we mentioned earlier there's a new film coming out. The 1961 film adaptation of the musical received praise from critics and the public and became the second highest grossing film of the year in the United States. It won 10 Academy Awards out of its 11 nominated categories, including Best Picture. It received the most Academy Awards of any musical film. Rita Moreno as Anita was the first Latina actress ever to win an Oscar. The soundtrack album won a Grammy Award and was ranked number one on Billboard charts for a record 54 weeks. Yeah, wow. That's the record I was listening to, babe. A 2021 adaptation written by Tony Kushner, directed by Steven Spielberg, choreographed by Justin Peck, was filmed back in 2019, and the new release date for this version is now December the 10th. It was originally hoped it should have been released by Christmas last year, but obviously things got in the way. It stars Rachel Zegler in her feature film debut, and Ansel Elgort with Ariana DeBose, David Alvarez, Mike Faist, Josh Andres Rivera, Corey Stoll, and Brian Darcy James. Rita Moreno, who appeared in the 1961 film and got that Oscar, has a supporting role and is also executive producer for that film. Oh, lovely. Yeah, nice tie-up. Tony Kushner reportedly kept the story very much closer to the original Broadway musical than the 1961 film, stating that there were aspects of urban life in 57, 58 and 59 that just weren't touched on in the 1961 movie that we are focusing on. Oh, I love that. Now, you probably know more than you even wanted to about West Side Story, and, um, you know, 15 minutes ago you didn't know that much, so I feel like my job here is done. I absolutely know everything I ever wanted needed and didn't know I needed to know. Um, well, you'll, you'll forget most of it, but... I and I, could, like I, I really couldn't enjoy stop it, halfway through, honest. but there's actually a lot in there, and uh, 
the story of the evolution of the production as a stage show was interesting, and its Super evolution again into becoming a relevant, uh, you know, twenty first century movie. I think is still a pretty cool thing. You know, I, it's not often I find myself really getting quite involved when you're telling me about a show, telling us about a show. I because I'm that boring. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> no. It's most of the, a lot of the time. You know, we cover musicals more out of obligation because they're a musical, and yeah. we should talk about it to add some diversity to our range. But we're not super into them. But yeah. this one, I think, in part um, is informed by how passionate you are about it, but also is really interesting. I feel like it's a show I would like if I. You know, it's, it. it's, it's what I find really fascinating is that uh, you've got a show here that debuted in 1957 that still has such amazing relevance and such power. I think that's what inspires me now. I can sort of see in my head how I would stage it if I was ever going to direct it because it is such a relevant, mm. timely story to be revisiting. It's not that long ago that Tauranga Musical Theatre, for example, did a production, and I know that it's on the books for quite a number of societies around New Zealand that say, hey, maybe it's time we did it again. Yeah, it's one of those ones that comes around, eh? It can sit in a big theatre or a small theatre, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you fit it to whatever your venue. Uh, Well, you know, I like it more than I did 15 minutes ago. So now you need to listen to the whole soundtrack. Then you and I can do duets. I... Mike, you don't know how much I would love that. Um, people you know, keep away from me. Um, I didn't know that Lynn manuel had uh, a hand in that, m- the more popular revival, not the most recent one. Yeah, but the doing one the translations, that. yeah. Yeah, I, and I'm really into that whole, if you've, I just really like other languages, so yeah. I'm into that. So, and I love Karen Olivo, who's in the Broadway soundtrack that you've been playing today, so yeah. I don't know what there is to not like. Yeah. Oh, I'm pleased you're enjoying it. Yeah. And I got as much of a kick out of uh, looking into the background of, this, of West Side Story as I did uh, with Young Frankenstein last week, but for different reasons. Good. And and it's really nice to be able to talk about shows that have a bit more to them. Yeah, I agree. Nice big history, eh? Anyway, that was our musical of the week, and it's time once again for us to leave you for another week. From the bottom of our hearts, we do thank you, Free FM, for hosting us. It's always a pleasure to come in here and do this. Thanks, Creative Waikato, for sponsoring us. And thank you very much indeed for listening, because we love doing this each week to just do something that gives you some diversion. Why not? Yeah. Don't forget to catch Backstage wherever you get your podcasts. We are available on accessmedia.nz, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, a bunch of other places as well. Head over to Instagram and find Backstage Podcast NZ, where I will be sharing today's episode, plus Musical of the Week on our story. I've been Mel, he's been Mike, you've been Backstage. Stay classy, theatre nerds. Now, today, we're going to leave you with tonight, one of the key songs from our Musical of the Week, West Side Story. So stay safe out there. Keep signing in, scanning the QR codes, wear the mask, and keep yourself in one piece. We'll see you <laughs> next week. Bye. Only you, you're the only thing I'll see forever. In my eyes, in my words, and in everything I do. Nothing else but you, ever. And there's nothing for me but Maria. Every sight that I see is Maria. Every thought I'll ever know, everywhere I go, you'll be.
is just a world, is a star to Noches. I love you. Yes, yes, hurry. Wait. When will I see you again? Tomorrow? I work at the bridal shop. Come there. At sundown? <laughs> yes, go. <laughs> Tony. Shh. Come to the back door. See. Si. Tony. What does Tony stand for? Anton. Te adoro, Anton. Te adoro, Maria. Good night. Good night. Sleep well. Episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices, or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.